longtime Maynard. It's good to see you. I think that's, that is. We've been communicating this week, and he still has a bit to go, but uh, it's good to see him here with us this morning. We've been praying regularly, and we will keep doing that. David and I are going to work together. I'd like for you to consider this morning the question, what is truth? How do we discover it? And what do we know is really true? What is really true? And often in questions like this, uh, it, it's sparked by, by things that happen in our world. Um, for instance, uh, Christians have always said they believe the Bible. Well, so I have something for you. And they believe the Bible is true and want to follow it. Here, here's a verse for you. I want uh, two verses. It says, You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear the Lord. I am the Lord. That's from Leviticus 19. Now, how many of you get paid for work the same day that you... Well, uh, some of you do, but uh, my employer is guilty of violating this. They keep my wages overnight. Does yours? Some of them keep it 30 or 60 days overnight and let it pile up, all that. So sometimes it's hard for us to know when we read the Bible. So how does that apply to today? And what truth is there in that for Christians? And how do we discover truth? Now, it is really uncanny. I did not know what the Sunday school lesson was until I got here this morning because I, I, was, I wasn't here last Sunday. And uh, I was preparing this. And uh, the series that we're in really fits with this. What is truth? And, and here's another question. Uh, Narita and I, when we lived in New Haven, lived very near, unfortunately, uh, a couple blocks, three or four blocks from a Planned Parenthood uh, clinic where they performed abortions. And we would walk past there uh, on occasion, and there would be protesters, and they'd have signs saying, um, the truth is. And there's always these dilemmas in those moments because as people are walking in, Christians are there confronting the people who are walking in for an abortion with the truth. And, and, the, and I saw statements like, the Bible says it, and, we, and that's why it's wrong. Things like that. Now, not all of them, but oftentimes, that, then what people then say is, well, okay, but that's your reading of the Bible. And if there is not a higher a standard of truth somewhere that we can hang on to, let's not bother being Christian. I, I just believe that. So turn your Bibles. Uh, this question actually came up in the Scriptures uh, in John 18. Um, so here is uh, verses 37 and 38. I put it up here for you. This is Jesus at, the, at his trial. And, and uh, he has been, they've been talking about whether he's a king. Pilate says, So uh, you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Notice that. To bear witness to the truth. Jesus is saying there is a truth. There's something bigger than even myself here. It's the, it, 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 I'm bearing witness to that. Everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate said to him, what is truth? Scripture does not record 
Jesus answer. doesn't record that Jesus even answered. But I believe in that in this occasion that um, Jesus looked, was looking at Pilate and looked him right in the eyes and suddenly Pilate realized something that he was actually, uh, truth is not some kind of statement in the Jewish scriptures or anything. He was looking truth into the eyes. Jesus. And as he's looking truth into the eyes, Pilate immediately turns around and says to the Jews, I've, I, I can't find anything wrong with this man. Let's release him. Because Pilate understood that he was looking truth into the eyes. So, so what is truth? Uh, I think we need to think about, very carefully about what it is. And it, it actually needs to be shaping our lives. Um, so the dictionary definition of truth is that which is true or important or in accordance with fact or reality. If I told you this morning, the lights are not on in this building, you would say, you are nuts. Not saying the truth. That is not true. Why? How do you know the lights are on? Oh, you want to help? How do we know, how do we, here you go, dad's coming. Uh, how do we know the lights are on? Come on, today's interactive. How do we know the lights are on in this room? They're shining. You can see the light, yes. Light is interesting because it travels so fast. Okay, so you can, you can scientifically, essentially scientifically say that the lights are on. Okay, so, so, so that is in accordance with fact or reality. But it, it, there's, there are some truths in life that are much more difficult, David. Uh, uh, in order to believe in an absolute truth, see, see, I think this is a part that we often miss. In order to believe in an absolute truth, if there is an absolute truth, you have to believe there is absolute good and absolute evil. You have to believe that because... If you don't believe in absolute good or absolute evil, and by the way, absolute good is a person too. Absolute evil is a person as well. But if you, if you don't believe in that, then there is no grounding. There has to be good or evil. Or you can't, uh, you can't embrace truth. We'll keep going and maybe you'll see this. Uh, truth, who or what defines absolute truth? So who defines absolute truth? Uh, truth reveals something bigger or someone bigger than myself. If I tell you, uh, let's just use an example. If I tell you um, abortion is wrong, and you say, and again, that's an easy one because we in this room embrace the idea that abortion is wrong. But we are not going to actually convince anyone that, who believes in, that you should have abortion by simply us saying abortion is wrong. They'll say, but you can believe that. That's good for you, but it doesn't work for me. So, so truth has to reveal something bigger or someone bigger than myself. Um, so the next, I, I want to look at um, Jesus in, in John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Stop and think about that. These have definite articles in front of them. He is the way. The only way. He later says, the only way you can come to the Father is 
except through the way, right? So the same passage. In the same way, and we believe he is the life. I am eternal life. I am come that you may have life. You can only have life through me. He is also the truth, the ultimate truth, and the only truth. So how does that work? Um, in, in the Okay, David, uh, in the next... Uh, see, see, I think there are levels of things that, that are verifiable and true. First of all, there are convictions. Some of your personal convictions are truth, but not all of them. For instance, I am personally convinced that um, everyone should read 50 books a year. Does that make it the truth? As in ultimate? Of course not. But I'm pretty convinced you should. So personal conviction, is, it's important, but we can't necessarily build on that. So I, truth is bigger than me. It has to be bigger than me or you. If I would ask some of you, what do you think is true? If I ask um, Maynard, what do you think is true? He would say, surgery hurts. Oh, well, mine didn't hurt too bad. I once had neck surgery, and I felt much better after I was done. Than, you know, it, it, it's, it's like it's our experiences. But there, there, it has to be bigger than us. So, so next are constitutions. And I got this from my friend, one of my friends, who he and I have been talking about this. And this is where a group of people, including a church, makes an agreement that this is how we're going to live. It doesn't minimize the power of that, but ultimate truth doesn't reside in, PA, in uh, Providence's constitution. It doesn't abide, and, and that is not ultimate truth. So, so next you have uh, uh, confessions, and this is uh, like the Anabaptist confession of faith, the Schleidheim confession of faith. Those things are powerful and good, but they're, they're, they don't override all time. For instance, they had one about the swearing of oaths that, it, that isn't really, it doesn't fit in our world the way that they had it. So, so the fourth thing, and people often build entire systems of truth around these things. And then they become stuck in them, whether that's personal convictions, uh, groups, constitutions, confessions, or systems of theology. For instance, you have the Reformed system of theology, and you have the, the Lutheran system of theology. They're good, and there are elements of truth in every one of them, but they're not complete. So the, the next one is creeds. And, and this is one where we may not practice quite as much, but there are creeds throughout history that the church has agreed on. Jesus Christ is God's Son. And we would all agree on that, and we'll, we'll look at that one. And, and then there is the Scriptures. And oftentimes, people stop here. Okay, So they stop right here. And they say, ultimate truth is found in the Scriptures. And... Uh, we can wrestle with this because I almost said something that I, I was going to be haunted by later. I, I, would say, I, I could say Scripture contains truth. Scripture is truth. How do we handle Scripture? And particularly, how do we handle Scriptures like this? Uh, the wages of, your, of the hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. What do we do with the entire Old Testament? By the way, we call it Old Testament. It's actually not the proper term. It should be the First Testament. What does the First Testament testify to? Jesus. What does the Second Testament testify to? Jesus. Okay? But, but you, and there we go. It is the bedrock of all truth. So if you build your, your truth system around your convictions, 
They're faulty. If you build it around a group of constitutions, doesn't mean you shouldn't keep those things, shouldn't follow those things, but it's, it has to be bigger. It has to be built in a person, that, and Pilate understood that. And, and Jesus understood that because he said, I am the truth. Now, how does that fit in our world? Let's have the next. Um, so I, I want us to think about a couple things. There are many precepts in the Bible, right? There are many precepts in the Bible, including you shouldn't keep your servants' wages overnight. That's a precept. Another one, and I think I'll bring it up later, is found in Matthew 5 where it says, uh, uh, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. That's a precept, right? That's a, a, a sentence, a long thing in the scriptures that, that says a certain thing we should act on. And by the way, I think uh, we are just as beholden to the Old Testament as we are the New. But I'll explain that in a bit. So, uh, so, but you have to build your precept. Your precept has to lead to something bigger, and that's the principle. There are principles in the Scriptures that are bigger than just the precept, and, but that is built on a, a person. Um, next, David, there. And we'll move right into the next slide because I want to define these things. What is a precept? A precept is, in a general sense, any commandment or order intended as an authoritative rule of action. Thou shalt not kill. Don't keep your servants' wages. If you have a bald head, you are clean. Bible says that. Right, well, anyway, so a precept. Here is one. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So, so think about that. And, and it, if, if people say, why don't you kill? Why don't you kill people? And you say, well, I, I'm, I'm called to love my enemies. You're following the precept. Now, uh, what is the principle, though, behind the precept. And, and so what is a principle? It is a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as a foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. So a principle is a chain of reasoning. And so help me out. Well, well, let's go through it, David, and then we'll come back. What is the principle that is in Matthew 5.44? It teaches love your enemies. So I would say a principle there is that God's people are called to act differently towards enemies. But the question is, why? So, uh, next, we'll, we'll look at what does this teach us about the person of God? And this is the question you need to ask. What does the precept and the principle teach us about the nature and character, the person of God? What does it teach us? Okay, so, so put, do it like this. Love your enemies. Now help me. The principle behind that is God calls his people to live differently in relation to people who don't like us. Right? Would you agree with that? Okay, so what does this, though, teach us about the nature and character of God that underlies all of that? God is love. Absolutely. That's much bigger than saying thou shalt not kill. Because it, it, it's, it's personal. So uh, I think the, the nature and character of God. God is love. Let's have the, the next slide. I, I, I've just tried to map this out so you'd get this. You, ha, you have to find more than words of truth. You have to find the person of truth. And okay, so, so let's do a couple of these. Uh, uh, let's, let's just move through. David, uh, let's have the the next slide here. Um, so the precept is love your enemies. 
love, the principle is love is important. God calls his people to love. But the, the person behind that is, the, is God is love. And we'll look at, at uh, this a little more in a bit here. Okay, next slide. So, so this is another way to think about it. If it's not built on the person, we're in trouble. Because the next slide shows us, if, if, you, if, you, have a, a, if you live together um, primarily around precepts, if you, if you live together primarily around precepts, you are going to be a very law-based society. If you live just primarily on the principle level, you'll be a morally good or morally superior society. But if you live around the idea of a person behind truth, a person behind all these commands, a person, uh, this shows us something about the person of God, which then shows us something about how we are called to live in our world, then it becomes relational. See, I will never be able to convince anyone with my words alone that abortion is wrong. But if I can prove to them that God loves me enough that I want to give my life to them. There are so many examples of this. Um, earlier in our life, we lived in an, another community. And in this community, one of our, our fellow churchgoers once met a, a woman who was considering an abortion. On her way to having an abortion, he convinced her not to have the abortion. But he convinced her out of a relationship. That's the only way it's really going to work. And you have to, it has to be bigger than words because they can just immediately point back and say, well, that's your personal conviction or that's your belief system. Uh, let's look at a couple more, David. Uh, let's look at a couple more examples. So, so here are some from the Old... And, and by the way, this is the only way that the Old Testament makes any sense to me. Because I read through Deuteronomy and Leviticus and see all these laws. And I'm like, well, what's the point? Why not just excise those from our Bible and not follow them? But I think that uh, they're powerful. Here's one. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field. So tithing. The precept is you should tithe. What's the principle behind tithing? Giving. Yes, we should be giving people. What is the person behind tithing? What did God give us? God gives everything to us. And when we give, we are giving back. We're acting like God. When you walk by the offering bucket, you're acting like the nature and character of God by giving. Another one, and um, the year of sabbatical. Sabbath, how should it look? If I tell you my ideas, it would mean preaching, singing, and then rest, eating and resting. Others of you might think, well, no, it's running and so on. And, and, but, but ultimately, we have to return to the question is, why do we stop one day? The principle is we should stop one day and consider our relationship with God. And the person behind that is God is a giver of true rest. We find our rest in Him. Uh, there are so many more. Uh, there, this one, uh, and, and there, there are things about God is unity. I, I looked at a couple, um, and I'm not going to turn to these, but I looked at one where it says, uh, don't mix the the clothing. Don't mix the don't mix the linen and cotton or whatever it says in the Old Testament. And I, I was thinking, I'm like, what is that? What is that? What what point is there in having that in the Bible? What point? It just confuses me. Unless I think about it like this: God cares 
about how his people live. By the way, I looked at my shirt, and it's mixed. I looked at it before I put it on this morning, not since I'm here, but anyway. Um, it's mixed. It has different fabrics in. But the point of that is that God was telling his people, that is reflective about something about mine. There's no mixed in there. There's no shadow of turning. There's no, I am, I am completely one. And interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, over and over again, when God gives these commands, like you should tithe all the yield of your seed, or the one that we read, did you notice something at the very end of that? Oh, oh, well, I want to back up. Uh, the wages of your hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. What's the precept? What's the precept there? Shouldn't hold your servant's wages, your employee's wages. What's the principle? Who are employers? All the employers? No, just don't. Uh, what's the principle? Justice. Yes. Honesty. Um, don't, uh, so, so don't, um, or, or even don't cheat people. Don't use other people's money. That, right, that rightfully belongs to that. But what does that teach us about the nature and character of God? God is, you said it, just. God is, what else? There are many things you could say. God is life. That money represents life. God is life. All right, uh, need to keep moving, David. Uh, so, so what difference does this make and why is it important? Well, just like a piece of a puzzle, like there, if, we, if we can think about truth differently, the nature and character of truth as being something about God, a reflection of God. Um, let's have the next slide. Um, so, and I, I, this is out of place, but if, if you live primarily by precepts, you're primarily going to be law-driven, code-driven. Oh, I didn't follow that. Oh, I forgot to give my, I forgot to give my employee their wages. And, and if you are pr- primarily live on the second level principle, that's better. There'll be a lot of moral uprightness. But it, that will seem like the end game. And I, I know a lot of people like this who live morally very right and very upright. And, and in their world, that's the end. I once heard NT, we once heard N.T. Wright debate uh, an atheist, atheist who said, when he, he just wants to bring about good in the world, and then he's going to die. And I thought, who really wants to live like that? If I'm going to die and there isn't anything after death, I don't want to worry about bringing good in the world. And, and, and Wright asked him, so why bring about good in the world? And he said, uh, well, it's the right way to live. I'm like, Boy, that has a lot of power behind it, doesn't it? doesn't have any power behind it. But if you live with the idea that behind the precepts, the principles, there is a person, suddenly truth becomes relational and you can be in the dialogue. You can be in the talk. And say, let me introduce you to somebody who can really answer the questions about abortion and life. Another way to illustrate it, Jenna, you want to come on up. Another way to illustrate this, and I, I thought about when I walked in this morning, they were playing music. Another way to kind of illustrate this, you love good music. and <clears throat> So if you primarily live with precepts, it's like playing, uh, Jen and I practiced once, 
But uh, it's, I'm not going to sing. But so, so if you live primarily with the first level of precepts, your, your music, your life will sound like this. Another one. That's really nice, isn't it? Hmm. If you live with the idea of principles, it adds layers to it. Hmm. It's better. But if you live with this kind of full-orbed view of truth where it's built around a person, built around Jesus, this is what it sounds like. Thank you. Thank you. So which one would you like to live with? Like, The single tune is good. You should do it. It has to be built on something bigger. When you discover or teach a new precept, and you teach your children this, you should do this. Ask, what is the principle behind the law or rule of the universe? Why was the world created this way? This even works in science um, with genetics and all these things. It's much bigger than just a a precept or principle. So ask, why is this in this place? Uh, Next, David. Then ask yourself, is this what God is like? Or does this reflect our fallen world? There's some, the, the world follows precepts. The world follows a person, a being. And their precepts and principles are just as active in our world. So ask yourself, it, it, if I follow this all the way through, is this what God is like? Or does it reflect our fallen world? So your actions this week, my actions this week, we need to consider so which of these kind of tunes are we following? Which of these songs are we embracing? Then ask yourself, in light of this truth, how should I live? If it is true that God is life, if it is true that God is justice, if it is true that God is mercy, if it is true that God is loving, how should you live? This is from John Stott. The person and the work of Christ are the rock on which the Christian religion is built. Take Christ from Christianity and you disembowel it. There is practically nothing left. Christ is the center of Christianity. That's really important. The scriptures are not the center of Christianity. The first testament points to Jesus and the second testament shows us what it's like. And don't forget that you and I are all involved in a grand story the story starts with creation. The second chapter is the fall. The third chapter is the nation of Israel. And the fourth chapter is Jesus coming to earth. And we're midway through the fifth chapter. And you and I are part of the story. And so don't read the Old Testament and say, well, what a bunch of laws. Uh, ask yourself the question, how does this point to the nature and character of God? And I, I probably didn't... Uh, clarify this very well, but often in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, when these laws are given, at the end of a law, he'll say, I am the Lord your God. And for years, I'd read that and say, what's the point? I guess he must just be cementing the fact that they should, uh, they should uh, not keep the wages overnight. I am the Lord your God. But it's actually saying to the people, the, to the children of Israel in the third chapter of the story, saying, you know what? When you, when you keep these things, it should point you back to who I am. 
And that needs to make a difference in how you live. If you look and act just like everyone else out there, then we have a right to ask, what part of the story are you? The closing scripture here, as I was thinking about this, suddenly this scripture made much more sense as well. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Salvationist Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises or precepts of God find their yes in him. The scriptures are not an accident. The Old Testament is an accident. It's there for a purpose to point us to the nature and character of God. That is, it is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So when you live with the idea that there is a person behind truth, there is a, a person behind the, I, the way we live, what you're saying is, amen, Jesus is alive. And we look truth right into the eyes like Pilate did. And Pilate had an opportunity that you and I have. Pilate walked away from that opportunity. Will you? As you look truth into the eye. Let's stand together. Now, I'm, I, as I was studying this week and thinking through this, what would it look like, and it, what, what does it look like when God's people, when a group of people begin to say, we're putting our trust in Jesus. We believe he is the truth, the life, and the way. And then we take that out into our fallen world and we begin to touch. We're not going to eradicate all evil in every way, but what we're going to do is bring light into the world in ways it has never seen. And it's much more than our words. It's our life that does that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that, <clears throat> that you are truth. That we don't have to figure out a system of... yeah. We, these confessions, our, our convictions, our, um, our constitutions, our systems of theology, our creeds, they're very important. And Scripture is very important because... It's a testament of, of you. But ultimately at the center is you. And this week, Lord, we're going to face people who are difficult. We're going to face events and circumstances that are hard. And when we face those, help us to look truth into the eyes and say, how can I live in such a way that honors my Father, the nature and character of our Father, and bring that into our world, to bring justice, mercy, love, peace, connection, unity, all those things into our world. In Jesus' name, amen.